Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where tonight we'll discuss Chapter 4 of Observing the Craft by Andrew Hammer. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Welcome back to the Working Tools Podcast. This evening, it's just the two of us. There's a song in there somewhere, I think, but I uh, wish brother. Just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. I'll stop now. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. <laughs> we, uh, before I get before I get off, worship uh, brother Jared Dunham from Penticton Lodge Number One Forty Seven, and I am David Colbeth, Master Mason from King Solomon Lodge Number Sixty in Auburn, Washington. So, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast here, and we're. We, we were discussing offline in the in the glue room we call it uh that we probably are going to agree too much on this topic and so ho- hopefully it's worthwhile to y'all but, oh i'll buck i'll buck tradition and then i'll be the contradictory one what <laughs> never never <laughs> <laughs> so you know we're we're at loss here without uh, matt our opener and steve unfortunately had a family issue and the best to him and his family uh, but we're op- we're missing our opener matt that usually throws us a curveball or a fast pitch or something to get us started and so we were trying to decide how to get this going but you know th- this first section in chapter 4 he talks about scarcity is what gives commodity its value right it's one of the things i underline right in the first page and so it's interesting he talks it, there's a lot of talk about trying to build up numbers and build up membership and we've had lots of conversations about over membership and over recruiting or not recruiting or whatever else and so it's interesting that he makes that connection between uh, a basic commodity and so is freemasonry a commodity though well, everything's a commodity well, like i mean not to put too fine a point on it but everything is a commodity um i mean he, you know it, it's interesting you know when he, he makes that makes the point about university degrees you know that you know it used you know 50 years ago before i was born that you know getting a university degree was was a big deal that you know and right. i think in my gen you know i remember my generation that the the concept that just the mere hint that you wouldn't go off to university after graduating from grade 12 meant that you were some kind of weirdo and a rebel <laughs> You know, so, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it's a commodity that is is not for consumption by everyone. I mean, is best, I think something that, you know, we could say he says. I guess I think of a commodity in the purest form, if he has an economic element, is that it's a, it's, it has an, um, I'm not going to use the right words, it has an end to it, right? There's only so much grain. There's only so much oil. There's only so much water. Well, that's, that's, that's if you believe in a scarcity mentality. That's what he's kind of, I mean, in theory, he's kind of talking about that, right? Well, no, he's just, well, he's no, well, he's talking about the, 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 not, okay. The the scarceness of something gives it greater value. Yeah. Meaning that um, not everybody can get some or have yes. some or be part of right. it. Right. But not all, commo- all not all commodities are finite. Sure. 
I mean, in, in your example, we can grow more wheat in theory, you know, if as long as you have lots of water and fertilizer and seeds. And I mean, you're right. It's all, it's I mean, kind of, you know, I mean, we can always talk about, you know, you know, economic, uh, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go there because that's just going to, but yeah, I mean, you know, he does point out that, you know, if you make something that, because he, well, I think the reason he's using the commodity thing is because if, if you make, because he, he talks about cheapening something. Yeah, that it, you know, and and oh, there is a uh, you know something that is too easily gained has less value to us. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, um, well, as you mentioned, the university idea that in honestly though in my, in my family in my immediate circles, a university degree was not common, and so hmm. uh, it, one of the you know we, we, I honestly come from the Midwest and from a family lineage of farmers and and that, that kind of you know the Midwest Middle East <laughs> type of people and so a lot of people didn't go to college they some barely finish high school and so for my in my immediate family my sister technically was the first one to graduate because uh, I stopped after a couple of years and then uh, some of you know me I think I mentioned on the show before that. I finally wasn't a midlife crisis necessarily, but it was just kind of something I had one of them wish I would have. So I went back and got my degree. So I had just finished my bachelor's degree, but it was more of a personal thing and not something I really needed to have. Right. But yeah, it wasn't, uh, my dad didn't have a degree. Now he, he had education. He had educated himself. He was electronics technician when you fixed things and didn't throw them away. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but he, but he had educated right. himself. And, and actually in, 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 Brother Hammer's defense, he does mention that, that, you know, that, I mean, he uses the university, but it, it's nowadays that like going on and getting further education sure, sure. after graduating is more common. I just use the, you know. No, you're right though. And he does kind of, and I, I understand what he's saying is that it's right now it's very common. And he's talking about how the Romans previously also, that when, when it was uh, unique or special to be a Roman and to have those. Mm -hmm. Uh, the authority, if you will, or the recognition of being a Roman citizen. And then when, what was the word he used? Uh, when every... Uh, well, when he gave it to all the barbarians at the barbarians, gates. Barbarians at the gates. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the Pax Romana was a big thing. You know, if you were a Roman citizen, you know, you couldn't be touched. Yeah. And sorry to all those Tom, Dick, and Harrys, but whenever, when every Tom, Dick, and Harry can be a Roman, then who cares? Right? Well, yeah. So I mean, it's in, I, I highlighted a couple of pages in where it talks about uh, uh, the desire to make it easy for a man to become a mason gave a result of a fraternity that asks nothing from and then gives next to nothing to its members in the way of real philosophical instruction, but congratulates itself and how well it mimics the social functions of service organizations. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah. You know, have we? Have we gotten that? Is that is that what we've done? Well, there's a lot of guys think I think that think that masonry is that kind of community service, social organization, and it, you know it's interesting how we've talked about before that Andrew says, well, those lodges can be those lodges. Just don't expect you know don't don't limit us from being what we want to be. But this is the way it should be, right? <laughs> So it's always this kind of, well, this is how it should be, but you can go do what you want. Yeah. Just, just well, leave us alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, 
So, I mean, you know, it, it goes on and we talk about the, you know, the pursuit of excellence, but as I've said before, I, I, he uses the word excellence. I say craftsmanship. Yeah. I mean, he does talk about craftsmanship, but you know, it's just that concept of craftsmanship. Yeah. I, I highlighted just above that part about the service organizations that he he talks about that for masonry is not for every citizen and there's a lot of men in Freemasonry and others that taught that think that Freemasonry should be for everybody and it is for everybody and anybody and everybody should come in and be part of it and there's a there's a piece of me that wants to wants to agree with that to some extent that we should almost you know maybe every man should be tried against Freemasonry so to speak but but I also understand the idea that it's not for everybody. So I, I constantly wonder, would I have made it through our processes now that we have in place, you know, 15 years ago? Because it was a little different process when I joined. It was more of, oh, he's got a pulse, get him in. And would I, <laughs> would, would I, would well, I, I guess the good, I mean, and he mentioned this chapter about people being willing to try and fail. That he mentions, you know, that, you know, ever people, people are willing, are, are, it, it, it search for people who are willing to apply to a lodge, uh, knowing that they may not get accepted. Yeah. And I think it's that humility that probably is what, I mean, I've only known you for a while. I think you probably would have gotten in. I think, well, no, cause you, you willing to do the work. Yeah. Like not looking for the quick fix. Cause I know you were what you were, you know, you've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast, what you were sort of looking for and what you assumed Freemason was going to be like. And when it wasn't as difficult as you thought it was going to be, you were a little confused. Yes, I was a little bit. Cause I didn't know what to expect. I would, I, there's some guys that do a lot of research and try and figure out what it's all about, or they're searching. Right. And he talks about that. I think it might be a little bit later and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but he does talk about how, a man should be seeking out these things and seeking out higher ideas and all that. And I don't, I don't know that I was, maybe I was indirectly. And I do believe in a, obviously a spiritual connection or whatever you want to call it, a, um, some kind of connection. So maybe I was being drawn to that, but I don't know that I was. And I, I think I'll freely admit, and I have admitted that when I first joined, I wasn't necessarily looking for these deeper meanings. I, I think in the last five years or so, or maybe eight years is when I've become the uh, more observant. Right. The beginning I was like, and maybe it was just this, I had an expectation. It wasn't there. And so I just adapted to the, to the, what was the result. And it was our, our lodge was a lot more social and is still, we were, we're pretty social, but it was a lot more social lodge oriented. And so I just kind of adapted, I guess it was just another organization. And I had been in lions and been in VFW and all these other organizations. They're just organizations. Right. So I just adapted. I'm glad we found more. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that, you know. Yeah. But, um, but, um, and, and he, he continues to talk about that if, right after you're talking about that social service organizations, that if we don't, in his opinion, if we don't alter what we're doing, that inevitably we'll become social rather than singular enterprise. Right. And that I don't, I suppose part of me thinks that there'll be, if, if masonry wasn't to have a resurgence and, and have folks look at the observant side of things and, and, or the esoteric side of things that I suppose there, we could 
slough off into a social club like the I don't know, piss off all the elks and <laughs> you know slough off into some other uh, uh, group that is more just social and not philosophical but I part of me thinks that there's always going to be that difference I don't think we're always going to just be one or the other and I think there'll be some we talked about it before there's I think there are going to be some medium right some middle ground there'll be some that are much more philosophical and thought-provoking and esoteric and those are others that are maybe more social and I, I just was I just was chatting with a with a friend uh that's he's a senior warden and he's t thinking about his eat going into the east next year and he was asking about dress and I said well that's the next chapter but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I sent him the eight steps uh and on the website Andrew has the eight steps to excellence for and then also the eight questions and they kind of right. they're not quite the same they're just a little bit different so I sent those to him and and uh and so I said well it's it's really up to you how you want to present that how you want the lodge to grow and and he said, well, should we, are they progressive? Should we do these eight things in order or all at once or are they whatever? I said, well, they're, they're individual elements. They're not necessarily progressive, but I would think it would be really hard for a lodge to try and do all eight all at once. I said, I think you'd be really lucky to just focus on one each year. And in 10 years, if a lodge did that, and if every lodge did that in 10 years, we'd right. have pretty dang good lodges. Uh, yeah. I think there's some that you might be able to piggyback on to. Sure. Sure. But yeah, I, I think the thing is, I mean, change doesn't happen overnight. No. And trying to change everything overnight is just asking for a headache. Yes. You know, because as we said, like the name of this chapter is the pursuit of excellence. Yeah. Not the attainment. <laughs> you know, as a, as, as a famous line I remember hearing about, you know, the, the, you know, the life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No one guaranteed you were going to find it. <laughs> and And to your point earlier, you said that maybe I was seeking it. Is it and he says... Any man that's unwilling to learn and produce good work should not be allowed to enter or remain in the craft. There's a, how would you, is there some idea that people that aren't, aren't willing to work and produce should be banned somehow? That's a pretty rough idea. Well, or is it self, do they self, self eject, I guess <laughs> the word. Well, out. I mean, it, it, it depends on the, the, um, the expectations of the rest of the lodge, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, if you're not willing to put in, like, what's the point of joining something if you're not willing to put in any effort? Amen. You know, I mean, and, and yeah, and, and I think it just boils, it, it all boils down to people assuming that, you know, once you've gone through your third degree, you know everything and, you know, you're just going to be enlightened and it doesn't work we're, that way. So we're just doing good works. That's not enough. We're just doing good works. Yeah. Well, no. So, so, so long as what we're doing is good, it must obviously be that we do, what we define as good. Therefore, the overall effort expended towards generous good is what makes us better men. That's what he, <laughs> that must be what masonry is all about. I underline. <laughs> right. So, yeah, just but being, no, it's not because I mean, yeah. think about it. I mean, and this is always my argument is that I can go out, I can do good works. I don't have to be a Freemason to do that. And as he says in the chapter, it's kind of expected that, like, it, all humanity is kind of expected to do that. I think that, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what, I agree, 100%. And Yeah. 
we've we've argued we we've, we've talked around the idea, but we just agree on this whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and then I underline the next section, just exactly what you said. Masonry calls us to excellence. Yeah. Expectant. So I wrote on the sideline, expect excellence. Yeah. It, and it's it's about and as he says, it's about it's about uh, um, developing the person, not. It's it's about me becoming a better person, so that by my becoming a better person, I make the world around me better. Right. It's not about me going out into the world to make it better. It it starts inside and works its way out. Yeah. You know, and that's and and I think that's the that's the point I get, and like that that comes across to me is the the fact that, you know, if we pursue pursuing excellence in the lodge, you get you get in the habit of pursuing excellence elsewhere. So, you know, if you, if you expect people, the new, new members to come in and you give them that expect that expectation that yes, it's going to be work. Yes. You have to memorize this, you know, you know, if it, if it, if, if you don't feel that you want to, or could do this, it's not a slight on you. This isn't for you. Yeah. And we need, we need to accept that because yeah, just having more numbers isn't going to it, it's going to keep Freemasonry going, but not necessarily what we want Freemasonry to be going. Yeah, and it's and like you just said, he talks about the pursuit of excellence in every aspect of our life. It's a continual effort for self development right. and lifelong learning. It's not just something like, oh, I W Freemason, you are an excellent person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, old chap. Here's your ring. <laughs> and in every aspect of your life and your human interaction in your dress your behavior your mannerisms and in sharing food and so I, as i was trying to point out to my friend he was asking him too about does a does a master's hat always have to be black and i said well uh he said is, is a master's hat custom a tradition or uh, is a master's hat tradition and i said quite your tradition question mark my tradition question mark your lodge question mark my lodge question mark freemasonry question mark i said right now whose tradition are you talking about and so then i said well if you think about dress what's your best dress you know what and you know so i think you have to decide what that dress what that means to you i mean to me and i i don't want to i wanted to be socratic and ask him questions but if he hears this podcast he'll (laughs) in my opinion in I think Andrew's opinion, the highest dress you could do is a tuxedo. And so you just get a tux and wear it all the time. And I think a top hat, in my opinion, right, is the best dress you can have. And I've always taught in sales too, if, if you're just dressed just a little better than your client, which in our case, the master should be the best dressed. And then the lodge members will probably not do as well, but they'll be, they'll dress a little better. Hopefully. Right. And so, but I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, you have to wear a tux. Uh, we talked about it before. I think that in my opinion, if I, I mean, for years, I wore a black double-breasted coat or a suit with a bow right. tie and nobody knew and shiny shoes and nobody knew it wasn't a tux really. And then eventually when I got, okay, this thing is serious. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I got some tux pants. So I had the fancy stripe on my pants, but it's just about trying to step up and just be a little better be a little better i think right and we're as you said we're living tools we are the tools that hopefully shape the stones the perfect stones of our life right so, right rough ashler and perfect ashler yeah 
And he even talks about that, that what is the ultimate standard of dress in the Western society? It's most likely tuxedo. You want to excel at that if possible. Right. Or green. He talks about, yeah, excel. You know, the, <laughs> his precision in, in his ritual, and the traditional celebratory, like, talk about foreshadowing. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's not about Freemasonry is not about good enough. Why? Well, because it's not good enough. No, okay, so well, if we're talking about the pursuit of excellence, then you know, they're they're contradictory terms. Good enough is passable. But we don't if if we want passable, we you know, why would you we we can do passable on our own. Um, if we want to push ourselves, it, it's good. You know, I, I, you know, talk, you talk about joining Freemasonry to, to improve yourself, to be, to go from good enough to better, better than you were before. Mm -hmm. So when we, we don't want to settle. Yeah. You know, and I think, and he has a, I, I, I don't know if I underlined it, but he has a line in, a line in here where he, uh, talks about um what I've always said is was the worst part worst thing to happen to Freemason it was the growth after World War II yeah well and he, he does say it's not for everybody or it, no it should never be offered as such and again that kind of I underlined it but I also there, there's a part of me that thinks I guess it's my savior complex I want to save everybody I want everybody to be part of it right <laughs> right oh there he is the, the uh when he's talking about the downward adjustment of our members from an unexpected and unintended boom that would never have been possible to sustain in the schools of the ancient mysteries yeah so you know when you let and and that's the thing is that he talks about in this chapter about if, if everyone brings in everything and and oh where's that section uh, talking about bringing in yeah the 10 i was just people, things that. that they like doesn't make it freemasonry are you, are you talking about the one where you talk about the he selects 10 exceptional men and oh yeah we're no he them. says um uh you know what you put into it uh when men have been men have been allowed to bring anything they enjoy from their oh. daily lives into the craft and call yeah. it masonry yeah yeah i'm like <laughs> no it sort of kind of goes along the lines of some of the um affinity lodges that i've yeah. seen yeah you know where it's like well no i mean Yes, it's nice to have a group of guys that get together that, you know, support a, a certain football team or have a certain hobby, but Freemasonry, you can do that out. You don't need to bring that into Freemasonry. You can do that outside of, you know, you can have a bunch of Masons who are really into one football team, but they don't have to form a lodge for it. Yeah. Well, and he, he talks about too, the having too many numbers, you know, if you, if you right. take 10 men and train them exceptionally versus trying to train a thousand men right your message is going to be lost yeah amongst them but those 10 then once they be, you teach them to be masters then they can then go teach 10 right at the brett commercial and so on and so on yeah and so on. you tell two friends and they well <laughs> but it's true yes and you get better quality from that and any the fullness of the knowledge will be transferred that's right that's what i really appreciate about it I, I don't know if we have time probably maybe but he, I, the next section he talks about that 
are we willing to reverse this direction of initiatory theories and seeking out new members? It, I, I wrote in there, is society not seeking? You know, is I, I wonder if if we become a society that's no longer seeking in general, and so we think that our numbers are dwindling. I think I wrote somewhere else later. Oh yeah, on the next page. I'd be curious to know what the population. You probably you probably already have this knowledge. In the you know eight, in the eighteenth century, the masonry was increasing. The numbers of masons were increasing, but what was the population ratio to those numbers of masons? And then we had a decline before World War II, and then as you said, World War II increased, but so did population was exploded. Right, and then we saw a drop off. And in theory, we're less Masons now than we were in the 18th century. But what's the population ratio? Well, our population hasn't dropped off. I mean, as we said, we're heading towards 7 billion, more than 7. I forget what. I don't even know how many people we have now (laughs) in the world. I just know that it's it's going up up consistently. Um, I mean, I know our population booms. There are population explosions because of... Thing, like the the industrial revolution and once we find things once we found things like penicillin and you know realize that if you washed your hands after a surgery you won't kill the next guy you work on <laughs> so i mean our population has always been growing yeah it you know it's taken wars but yeah i think our our percentage as our, our membership as a percentage of the population is definitely diminishing and so if our I don't know, let's just say it was 20% of the population, uh, just to throw a number out there, back in the 18th century. And now it's only half a percent. Half a percent. The the awareness of Freemasonry is, in my opinion, likely much less among the population. And so so is society, is the society seeking, and are they able to find what they're seeking? I guess is what I'm getting at too, is that, I don't know that I would have, I didn't know anything about Freemasonry until it happened to my great uncle. And so, I, and I stood outside the Masonic Lodge as a high schooler and didn't know anything about Demolay, didn't know anything about Masonry. And so, is, does society even know to seek? And so, it, I don't know, that's, that's, maybe that's an intro to that. We could talk about that in our next segment. I think that's actually an excellent, because I, I definitely have an opinion. <laughs> Well, I guess you all have to stay tuned and uh, listen to this next segment. We'll we'll start off by talking about is society seeking what we're looking, what we're after, or what we have. And uh, well, thank you for working, listening to the Working Tools podcast. I'm David Colbeth, and on behalf of Jared and Dunham and myself, thank you for listening and have a great day. <laughs>